0: Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage.
1: This is episode 60 of the Australian Hiker Podcast, and today's episode is titled Happy Feet. Now, for many of us, foot and lower limb issues is one of the most common physical problems as hikers that we'll come across, and it seems to affect all of us at some stage, uh, either in a minor or a major way. On shorter day hikes, it can be an inconvenience that tends to spoil the day, but for longer, more complex hikes, it can be more serious and actually get us off the trail altogether. So we thought that it'd be time to talk to a podiatrist about what we can do with the more commonly occurring problems. So today we're talking to Matthew Hodgkiss from Podiatry Professionals, and this is a Canberra-based practice uh, that was set up to provide the people of Canberra with a centrally located top-level podiatry clinic to make a difference to people's lifestyle by improving their feet. Podiatry Professional is a patient-driven practice and is committed to providing comprehensive and up-to-date treatment for lower limb issues in an informative and easy-to-understand way. As a practice, they engage with their clients by providing a relaxed and friendly environment, which assures detailed one-on-one consultations and a focus on resolving pain in the shortest possible time. So in today's episode, we're talking to Matthew Hotchkiss about feet and lower limb care as it relates to hiking. And I'd like to welcome Matthew to the Australian Hiker Podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Okay. Now, um, I think um, probably the uh, the first thing I need to ask is, um, and I think this is probably a question a lot of people have, is what is podiatry and what do podiatrists do?
2: It's an interesting thing. Like you know, There is a, a good percentage of people that don't actually know what a podiatrist is, which is um, fair enough But podiatry is really uh, I guess a, a profession uh, That deals with any complication Or any sort of problem uh, in, Regarding the feet or, or the lower limb It's, it's quite varied in, um, in the fields That, sort of, that it has and, uh, Which we can elaborate on But overall if there's a, a foot or a lower limb issue um, A podiatrist can help to Identify the issue And um, sort of guide an appropriate Treatment plan
1: uh, I suppose that probably raises the question is, are feet
2: problems always to do with feet or do, can they stem from other areas? Yeah, absolutely, they can stem from other areas. Uh, a, lot, a lot are localised issues with, with the feet. There is a high percentage of uh, problems that are, but no doubt there's, there's uh, lower back issues that can sort of cause uh, pain in the feet. There's systemic problems like diabetes and a lot of other conditions which can affect foot uh, problems in, the, in their own. In their own sense, yes. Okay. Now, how did you come to work in the field of podiatry? It's quite a strange uh, field, um, but podiatry uh, wasn't really on my radar. I sort of finished up school and uh, uni-wise was sort of more gravitated towards physiotherapy, but really late, uh, just before I got to uni, I sort of looked at what other options there were and sort of like the unique nature of podiatry I, I sort of did some uh, did a few days at a clinic to just observe what it was before I made the decision to study and, uh, and it and appealed to me the variety of the, uh, the problems they were solving and the success they were having it might have just been that practice but it sort of uh, motivated me I sort of took a bit of a, a plunge and, uh, and enjoyed it so stuck with it really Okay.
1: That's always a good thing, I think. Nothing worse than being in a job you don't enjoy, and if you can get some sort of positive outcome for people, all the better. Absolutely. Okay, so what sort of services do, uh, does the pod- podiatry professional's practice offer?
2: Uh, we've, we've got a few clinics, all of which uh, offer a variety of, uh, of services. They would like our, our focus primarily is, or our specialty, is on uh, sports injuries, uh, like foot pain, biomechanics, sort of the active, active sort of um, foot that, that has those uh, issues. But uh, we do a lot with footwear, with rehab of injuries, etc. But uh, we do also a lot of pediatrics and and um, and kids' feet, and uh, making sure that. Uh, they're sort of growing in the right way there is um there is a component of what we term general general podiatry nail issues skin corns, callus issues uh, etc but um also diabetic assessments um leg length differences special uh considerations such as cerebral palsy and systemic things so pretty broad spectrum um uh, of, of services across the board. Here.
1: Okay, that's good. Well, and that sort of leads us into our next question. Um, as it relates to hiking, uh, one of the biggest issues that uh, I tend to see and come across with a lot of people is footwear. Uh, and you mentioned um, you mentioned that as being one of the things you sort of go through and discuss. So in, dis- in, de- in selecting footwear for hiking, what are the main considerations that people need to consider?
2: There's a few things. The... The, uh, the, the number one thing that when you when you're trying an issue on particularly a hiking shoe is comfort now it sounds very simple but a lot of people I see that have issues with shoes are, are, are sort of pushed into one shoe or another and it's not really comfortable for their feet and a lot of the studies around show that the, that's one of the big indicators to whether you'll enjoy the shoe or not so if it's not comfortable regardless of sort of what the advice you're getting it's it's probably going to be an issue for you so but you um, Appropriate features within the shoe width is a, is, a, is a big thing I find, uh, especially if you've got a wide forefoot or there's there's. there's a, um a sort of compression in that forefoot that's always going to cause issues particularly with long hikes so width in the forefoot um, a good snug fit in the back the heel slippage is a big issue that people will have so if you've got a narrow heel and it's in a wide sort of base shoe you're getting a lot of movement and friction issues there so um, snug fit in the rear foot the um, width in the forefoot um, comfort but uh, obviously the outsole has to have a, a good enough sort of grip that you feel comfortable, you're not going to have any slippage or any, any falls with. And um, and then there's some more intricate details about the midsole makeup and the cushioning and stability of it, which is probably where your shoe store or podiatrist can advise on pending your foot type. Yeah.
1: And is there such a thing as too much
2: cushioning? I mean,
1: I can imagine it'd being, be being an issue with not enough, but is, is too much cushioning an issue?
2: It can be. The more cushioning that, that goes into a shoe, the bulkier it is. So the one limitation with that is people, you're a little bit, Um, elevator off the ground so you can be a bit unbalanced there so if you can imagine if you just stacked up rubber under your shoe and put a lot of cushioning you'd be pretty high off the ground and, and a bit unstable so yeah there is there and cushioning isn't always the best thing because depending on the foot type you've got some feet need a lot of cushioning some feet need minimal so it's uh but it can be an issue yeah
1: Okay. And I mean I suppose the other thing that a lot of people tend to not quite know what to do is when is it time to replace a pair of shoes or a pair of boots? I mean, I mean as, as an example with my shoes, the tops of my shoes always look perfect. It's always the bottom for me that wears out. And for other people, they destroy the tops and the soles look quite good. But you know, where's the where's the sweet
2: spot of saying, well, these shoes are good enough or no, they need to go? It's, it's a little bit trickier with walking and hiking shoes uh, than it is with running shoes um just because by the so if you're looking at wear patterns or you're looking at the time like a lot of people look at time frame six months 12 months uh, or they'll um sort of assess the feel of it i'll commonly i'll hear people say oh when it feels soft i'll replace it but all three of those indicators you're probably well past the use by data of a shoe then um Look, running shoes—it's you can track your K's that you're running them and replace them after a certain amount. Walking and hiking shoes—it's a bit more difficult. But to give, I guess, a um, an estimate as a as a broad figure, you could probably get somewhere between around 1,200 to 1,400 K's hikes really in a shoe, maybe 1,500, and then you sort of start to see. From a podiatry perspective, the midsole starts to soften up, that starts to break down, the stability definitely decreases by then, and you just risk a bit more injury of those overuse injuries by by that stage. So a more accurate way rather than time frame or wear pattern is, is kilometres hiked or, or amount you've done in them.
1: I must admit, for me, it depends on what sort of shoes I'm wearing. I, I'll, I'll get anywhere between about 900 to about 12 or 1300 kilometres or a pair of shoes and thinking uh, the tread's starting to
2: go and I'm starting to lose grip on them. So Yeah, look, that's probably, yeah, that 1200 is a good figure, but you also got to, if you're getting pain associated with a, with a, a, a shoe at 8, 900, you've got to take that into account. If you're stuck in blistering, stuck in breaks in the upper, then some people are harder on shoes than others. So that can vary a little bit, but. It's not a bad sort of predictor to, to stick with those cases.
1: Yeah. Okay. Now, the other problem, probably one of the main problems that people tend to have, uh, and again, this could be an issue with selection of footwear as well, is is blisters. Um, now, um, what's the best way for hikers to prevent blisters?
2: Prevention is, is about 90% of the information you need with blistering. It's 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 much better to prevent a blister than manage a blister. Uh sometimes it's inevitable, the amount of case people do, the moisture in feet etc so but preventing blisters uh, is very doable Uh, there's a few areas that are really important one is shoe selection so making sure the fit is correct if you're getting a a shoe that's very snug or a a forefoot that's a bit narrow or as we mentioned before where your heel's getting some slippage that will influence blisters so making sure you're in the right shoe for your foot Um, the other thing which is important is socks now a lot of people won't think about socks. Socks are really important to managing um, moisture around the feet. So, yeah, just your average sort of average Joe sock that, you, that most people could wear. For some people, get away with it. They will. Others will get blisters from it. So getting into a sort of a specialist sock that has some some properties in it that will absorb moisture, some Coolmax, even there's bamboo socks. There's socks that will, particularly for sweaty feet, will absorb a lot of that moisture before it turns into a blister. Yep. And, and add padding to certain areas, primarily the heel and the forefoot, where most of our pressure goes. It's worth spending money on socks. That's the, the one thing that I see a lot of... Uh, socks are really important as are the, the boots but um, again sweaty moisture sweaty feet uh, that can be prevented quite well there's there's some powders and some absorbent powders which are quite successful at uh, reducing the blister formation as well and um, there's, there's people, I guess feet Actually in longer walks that Doing all those things, good shoes, good socks uh, Powder Still will be prone to blistering and that's where You can just get some, some taping Techniques, there's some hypoallergenic Tape and some strapping tape in certain Areas that are prone to blistering Really help with decrease the friction And, uh, and the blister formation uh, In that regard so that's quite successful That sort of basket of treatments um, will Treat a lot of blisters
1: Okay, so yeah, so I must admit I haven't actually thought of. I know, I know people tend to often tape their feet once the blisters have occurred, but I don't know of many people who consciously think about taping their feet if they know there's going to be an issue and trying to prevent. Well, um, when you're
2: doing when you're doing hikes upwards of you know fifty, sixty, hundred k, those sort of things, it's it's just a, a, a case of the amount of stress on the foot it'll just go up and up and up, and it gets to a point where. You, it's just blisters. So, preventative uh, preventative taping is much more successful than uh, than sort of taping a blister. Um,
1: and I suppose I suppose that leads into um, you know as far as preventing blisters, you know, is building up callus in, in certain areas a good thing or a bad thing on on feet
2: having a little bit of what I would term tough and skinny is a good thing Uh, there's a fine line if there's increased pressure that's repeating in one area and that callus builds up that'll then go really firm and act as a bit of a uh, precursor to a blister underneath so a lot of callus isn't great but taking away all that callus and smoothing all that off again for a keen hiker can be a bit of a uh, uh, an issue with, with tenderness around that area so just just toughen skin that's not calloused up is probably the best mix.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, now, what happens if blisters occur? Well, what's the best way to treat them? And I suppose here I'm thinking about, you know, I grew up in a generation where you, you put a needle or you pop the blister. Is that the right thing to do
2: or the wrong thing to do? Well, it, it, that'll depend on who you, who you speak to, really. There's, there's two chains of thought. One is... Leave the blister intact. Don't don't sort of pop it and, and create uh, an infection risk. So that's the big thing. Is if you open that blister and drain it, then there's potential for infection there, which can lead to, I guess, bigger issues. Um, but it's painful. The fluid in the in the blister there is going to be really painful to walk on, and it'll definitely inhibit your hiking ability. The other chain of thought is that you just probably start draining the fluid out and then dress that up to to avoid the infection. So that's probably your your more common technique is just to make the the portal of entry with a, with a pin or whatever it is just drain it, just make that small don't sort of peel that skin all the way back and create a big wound yep. but drain the fluid and then putting over there's, there's some there's some little dressings that are like second skin or some little um, additions you can put on the skin then some hyperallergenic tape or a standard dressing and then some strapping tape over it's a pretty good management system especially if you're in the middle of a hike or you're hiking back to back each day It's it's just too painful to leave the fluid in there
1: yeah, yeah, no, I must admit, I don't have too much problems with blisters. I sort of, uh, I've learnt a long time ago, preventing is is certainly the better option. But every so often, you do get the old blister, and trying to work out what to do is you sort of, as you say, you hear hear two different schools of thought about what you should do, and you ne- you never know what quite what is quite right.
2: Yeah, look, especially if you if you're going to be hiking, hiking, hiking back to back day to day. I, you just, if you pop it, it, it's okay. I don't mind that. It's just be careful with it afterwards and, and make sure it doesn't get infected. But the other thing is some, um, which works quite well, is some metho. If, if you want to dry that blister out and recover it very quick to do another hike or, or you know, you've got back to back days, you pop it, put some metho on it, just dries that skin out, stops the tenderness and allows it a quicker recovery.
1: Okay. Now, um Uh, One of the things that uh, you often see, and and I I do use them in some cases, but um, the difference between wearing insoles as opposed to orthotics, what, what is the difference and what's the benefit of one over the other?
2: It's probably best thought of and considered just in the sliding scale. So at one end of the scale you'll have just the inner sole that comes in a standard shoe you buy from the store, which really is just a bit of comfort underneath the foot there to to, to cushion the hard sort of board that's underneath the, the bottom there. So that'll be your basic inner sole. Uh then you progress up to a lot, lot of these sort of inner so you'll see in, in, in retail stores, they they're just a supportive inner sole, they've got a little bit more density of material, they're a little bit thicker they'll probably offer a little bit more arch support but they'll vary from softer inner soles to firmer inner soles uh, in which they're a bit of a one size fits all, mass produced they go in the shoe, offer some support not a bad option if you're just needing some to fill the shoe up or you want some arch support or you're used to a little bit more of that, then that's okay um, then don't it's best not to confuse them with an orthotic as such so they're a bit of a supportive inner sole an orthotic is really a a device or an inner sole that's specifically designed to align the foot in a certain way and, and treat an injury so that's where your podiatrist comes into play primarily so an orthotic and there's a big range within that orthotic Sort of uh, brand itself. There's softer orthotics, which are heat moldable, which you put. I I should say, can can um, prescribe. There's firmer orthotics, which we can you can mold and, and sort of um, alter around the foot, all the way up to what's probably the more common orthotic used, and definitely the best functioning orthotic is your custom orthotic, which you start from scratch via a uh, a scan or a cast or getting actually the the representation of the foot and getting that athletic made up to treat a particular injury or, a, um, or an issue they may have.
1: I'm just going to go off, off track to some of the questions I've provided Matthew here uh, uh, Matthew here because it's, it's actually raised something I hadn't thought about. A lot of the shoe manufacturers tend to have gimmicks, for want of a better term. They tend to promote a particular aspect or a particular feature in their shoes. And one of the things we're now getting these days is things like zero drop shoes or, or uh, barefoot running shoes. What's your view on those and what's the, the, the pros and cons of that type of, uh, of
2: shoe? to give a really brief summary the the, the barefoot sort of fad uh, i should say because it was a bit of a fad sort of crept its head up and, and a lot of people sort of were really keen on that idea in which the, it was promoting more a barefoot um shoe where the the, the the foot was meant to act like it normally does in a uh in a, in a sort of barefoot sense uh the the problem with that is that we when we're used to wearing shoes and you go to something with a zero drop wear or a minimal shoe, you just put strain in certain areas of your feet very very quickly and it's a very good way to get an injury. So what we did find out is that the zero drop shoes, these minimal shoes weren't what they're cracked up to be. They um, they sort of lost a lot of momentum, a lot of sales once these injuries started coming to fruition and ruptured Achilles and stress fractures in feet and and a lot of these running based injuries. So don't be me wrong, there's some feet will be able to tolerate them, will like them they're a lightweight shoe, they can be comfortable for some feet so some people will probably listen to this and think well I, I run in that shoe and have no issues and it's is absolutely fine because there are a percentage of runners which have great mechanics they're really efficient, they're not going to have too many dramas at all but there's a, there's a big percentage of runners that uh, that don't respond well to them, that have issues that will transition too quickly or when they're even running big Ks in them that they just they have all these injuries developed which as a podiatrist, we Saw quite regularly over the last few years, and um, and uh, it's sort of back to where it was before that fad, as such now. So it, it, it did have its time, I guess, and some people will, will be running. And there's no doubt about that, but uh, they've yeah, they they can cause issues. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah, and I've I've have heard some people that say that uh, they have have issues with things like plantar fasciitis
2: that they they put go into the zero drops and it just almost kills them. So it puts a lot more strain on your Achilles and then only heals. So going bare feet, which is primarily what a barefoot shoe is, yep. is one of the things we discourage for plantar fasciitis. So you're right, it, it can make things a lot worse uh, for specific injuries. Yeah, for sure.
1: Okay. Now. What other issues, apart from blisters, uh, that uh, particularly for those hikers doing the bigger days or the the, the multiple days? What are some of the problems that they can have problems with?
2: Look, plantar fasciitis would probably be. your more common uh, injury, that'll that affects that, that'll affect 10% of people in their life, regardless if they're a hiker or not. So that's uh, that's an issue. You'll, you'll get a lot of tenderness and pain underneath the heel. It'll be pretty stiff after you've been sitting down and immobilised and then tend to get a little bit better as you warm up. But do a big hike at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty crippling. So plantar fascial pain is... Would be would be super common. Um, Achilles tendon issues are, are a big thing as well, particularly if the uh, you're going up and down big, big sort of heights and, and, and drops where the angle of your foot are going up a hill is obviously a lot sharper than, than sort of on a flat ground. So Achilles tendon issues and Achilles tendon pain are common, uh, which which can be in conjunction with that plantar fascia as well. You'll. Um, like little things like ingrown toenails, believe it or not, after you, you you're hiking and putting a lot of the time in a, in a boot can get a bit irritated. that can be a problem, which leads to infection. And although they seem like a small issue at the time, can be a, can be a huge problem. Uh, there's probably a, a range of forefoot injuries, like some um, bursitis or some some joint pain up in the forefoot, which uh, again can just by doing a little bit too much or having a big day can flare those things up. Uh, it's not uncommon for sort of for shin splint type pain and and, and knee issues as well, just due to uh, poor foot structure and poor foot structure uh, footwear, I should say. Uh, so it's quite varied. It's quite varied, but yeah. We, Forefoot pain and heel pain are probably two of the more common you'll get. Okay, well that leads us on to our
1: next question. So for those people that are looking at doing, say, multi-day or multi-week hikes, uh, so as an example, the Overland Track or uh, the Larapinta Trail, uh, what's the best way to prepare your body to minimise the injuries, particularly in regard to the the overuse injuries?
2: without that you, you, your primary sort of mindset should be preparation it's, it's a really, it's really good merit to the that sort of um, saying of failing to prepare here is preparing to fail because you if you're not conditioned enough to be taking the, the, the load and the pressures of what that's going to uh, put on your feet and legs then you're going to struggle so Preparing it and detail, map that detailed sort of um, plan the months in advance that so you're going to do hikes here and hikes there. So you should be building your building your amount of hiking um, gradually and doing some of the same elevations and same walks that you'll be subjected to in that walk as well. In the same boots that you'll be utilising in that boot as well. It's probably not a great idea to change your boots two weeks before it. Uh, just custom getting your body accustomed to what what it's going to be doing. So the biggest the biggest problem the number one sort of tip I'd say there is that the body's made to uh, to successfully increase its adaptation by about 10% a session so if you're going to hike 10k then don't go and hike 20k the next day you can build that up to say 11k the next time and then another 10% etc etc so you can get safe adaptation to that without risking injury so uh, if you if you're slow with your progression, you're doing, utilizing the same shoes which are, are the right shoes. So if you have any doubt about that, probably consult a podiatrist so you know you're in the right boot, good socks, any any taping have needed for blisters. Slow progression of activity up. And um, and just make sure. The, it, doing some foot strengthening and some uh, some stretching programs are also a, a good plan to increase your capacity to deal with those sort of hikes, uh, in which again your podiatrist can um, can advise you on. All
1: right. Um, so basically, what we're looking at overall is 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 obviously the right footwear selection, whatever that is for the individual. Um, Preparing and, and building up to whatever you're going through and training. What about things like nail care? Because this is sometimes you mentioned ingrown toenails and things like that. What what do, should people be doing with their nails to to, to keep them to keep the feet healthy? Yeah,
2: look, there's in some instances just with the volume of kilometers hike you'll find that you might lose nails they might just get traumatized they might go uh, black they might come off it's it's very difficult to 100% avoid that you want to make sure A with nails you're not getting any slippage in the shoe so especially if your shoes are loose a little bit with their laces and you're getting your nails hit the end of the shoe they'll get a bit of trauma and they'll get a bit painful so making sure you have good um, good lacing on the shoe that the size of that, that toe box and pressing on the toenails but as far as just nail care just cut those nails straight across don't cut down to the sides of the nails so the number one thing that podiatrists will see is ingrown nails started from cutting down to the side avoid the temptation it's a problem it'll be an issue cut straight across make sure it's uh, not cutting them too short they can be a bit problematic there and if you do find that you're getting a little bit of a redness down the side or flare up put some betadine on it flush it out air it out so you can sort of get it early
1: all right, yeah, I must have been, I, I'm one of these people that, uh, yeah, it's always tempting just to trim those little corners off to say, <laughs> you know, they're a bit more rounded like like fingernails rather than the toes. So,
2: and, and yeah, as you say, then you then you start getting the ingrowing. It, it tends to be a bit of an issue. So. It can be, particularly in hikers, where you you remember it's in a hiking boot for long periods. You're in a dark environment with shoes and socks. It's sort of moist in there. So if you do get an ingrown nail, the infection risk goes up quite a lot as opposed to you are wearing thongs and you're walking on a beach.
1: Okay, and uh, and just as a, a last thought, what final takeaway would you provide to people undertaking the the longer trips or the more difficult trips to ensure they maintain good footwear
2: overall? It's probably it's worth your while getting uh, an ass- a foot I'll say a foot and gait assessment from probably your podiatrist because the shoe characteristics and what's required in a shoe is really specific to what sort of foot type you have Now, to, to briefly go through you, you, a lot of people have what we call a neutral foot which is a pretty straight well functioning foot, a lot of people then can have a really high arch foot so they're rolling out and prone to stress related injuries and, and claw toes and things and then the, a good percentage of people have foot, flat feet or rolling feet so depending on what category you fall into is what sort of shoe you need so I'll commonly see people come in that have a high arch foot that are in probably your boot or a shoe that's designed for a flat foot. So getting that um, specific shoe advice is, is important. Um, look, Nail care is important. Airing your feet out is important. Wearing good socks that are going to breathe and, and sort of absorb uh, some of that moisture as you hike is important. And then um, doing some as a bit, briefly mentioned before, some strengthening and stretching plans will just improve your ability to do more hiking for less pain or less potential of issues, Uh, and then just making sure that you're slow and detailed with your preparation um, so that you, you, you have minimal risk of injury.
1: All right, Uh, so we've been talking with Matthew Hotchkiss from the Podiatry Professionals. We hope that's been of uh, of use. I mean, certainly it's one of those things that really we spend all our day on our feet when we're hiking, and this is for most of us where the problem is going to occur. So, um, if you go to the show notes for this podcast, we'll have the contact details for Matthew uh, and the services that he has on offer, Um, and um, uh, hopefully, particularly if you're in the Canberra region, he might be able to give you a hand with with some of the issues and the lower limb issues they're
2: having. So thanks
1: very much for that, Matthew. Pleasure. Okay, so that, from my perspective, I, I learnt a lot out of that, that conversation with Matthew. Uh, I think for most of us, we know what we're supposed to be doing, uh, but whether we actually do it is a different issue. And I think a good example there is trimming the toenails. You know, I've always known that you trim the toenails flat. But probably like most other people, always tend to cut those little corner bits out. And that's when you tend to have problems with ingrown toenails. So knowing and doing it are often two different things.
0: Wow. And who would have thought feet were so complicated? (laughs) Who gives them that much time? I don't know. I don't think many of us. Or certainly not as much time as we should. Um, I think for me, you know, in terms of the footwear, I have a wide foot and I appreciate uh, the need for the forefoot to be wide. It's pretty hard to get um, a shoe, particularly a hiking shoe, that's wide enough. But when Matthew was also talking about um, having a snug heel, that was a a little bit of a moment for me when I thought, wow, you know, that's a pretty complicated part of getting your shoe um, right and, and making sure you've got the right size.
1: I think um I think that's one of the major things that I tend to notice on uh, um, seeing other hikers and talking to other hikers. I mean I do shoe reviews as part of our our blog uh and again really it's it's my experience with the shoes that i'm reviewing which is a, a general thing and it doesn't really apply to everybody so I do have a narrow uh back of the back of my foot and I've got a fairly broad wide front foot and a, in addition to having a long foot. And if you've listened to this podcast uh, uh, previously, you also know that my left foot is a full size different than my right foot.
0: So you've got a couple of flippers.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it it, it makes it really hard to try and find shoes that are really going to keep me happy all the time. So apart from reviewing shoes to give people the information, it's also for for my own benefit. Uh, and in fact, I have two brand new pairs of shoes sitting on my my l- lounge room table that I still have to uh, to try out in in and uh, looking in uh, at for uh, in looking for my uh, through hike which I'm planning later on this year. I'm just about there. I think I pretty much know what I like and what I need, but it's taken me a number of different attempts just to get something that feels really comfortable for me.
0: Look, the other thing is about uh, replacing um, your hiking shoes as well. I thought that was interesting that, you know, you needed to make sure that you were monitoring uh, how many kilometres you'd done on your shoes. And, um, it's, it's also an interesting thing about what it looks like on the outside isn't necessarily a good indicator. So you might have still a reasonable sole and that's always been my guide. Um, reasonable sole on the the shoe, but you might find that what's happening inside the shoe with the um, inner fabrics and the inner cushioning might not be doing you any good. So I think, uh, I
1: mean, that's one of the articles I've been meaning to write for about the last 12 months is, you know, when do you replace your shoes? And really, and I'll I'll go through and do that as part of uh, this podcast, but really from Matthew's perspective, um, it's really looking at the wear patterns looking at the stability and also trying to work out how many kilometers you go through and use in a pair of shoes as well. For me, uh, up over the last couple of years, I average around about 65 to 70 kilometers per week. The majority of that is in hiking shoes. Um uh, certainly leading up to my through hike later this year, I've started upping that. Uh, and, and certainly over the last couple of weeks, I've been sort of up, upping that to sort of 85, 90 kilometers. But, you know, by August this year, I need to be out in a situation where I'm starting to look at doing upwards of uh, anything up to 200 kilometers a week. So, Having good footwear, uh, and I think that I think this is the real thing. That just because the footwear looks okay um, on top, and for me, I don't destroy the tops of shoes. It's the bottoms of the shoes that I tend to wear out. So I always tend to use the wear pattern and the tread pattern. And I know from my own experience and the, the hikes that I tend to do that uh, having grip, particularly on dry, unstable surfaces. Well, when that grip starts to become unstable, it's time to get rid of the shoes, even if they still look good.
0: Yeah, I'm a little bit the, the same. I go go by the uh, how they're feeling in the terrain that I'm on. And uh, I, to be honest, I wouldn't have any idea um, how many kilometres I've done in any, in any particular pair of shoes. So I probably need to start um, thinking a little bit about that.
1: Now, from my perspective, I'm just about to throw out two pairs of hiking shoes, which I've had for roughly 12 months, and I've been interchanging them over that period, and they would have quite comfortably done 1,000-plus kilometres each, and one of the pairs definitely should have gone out probably a month or so ago, but I just didn't want to let go of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And blisters, who would have thought? So good old methylated spirits is still back in fashion. Um, Not... Not sure that I'd be game to um, dab it on a, a an open blister, but uh, you know that's uh, one one possibility and one option.
1: I think the thing with blisters is you know it comes back to the correctly fitting shoes. Um, uh, so correctly fitting shoes and the socks. I think a lot of people will say, oh yeah, socks are socks, and don't worry too much about them." I've tried a number of different socks over the last eighteen months. I've got a pair that aren't perfect, but from my perspective are pretty good. Uh, I tend to, my feet tend to sweat quite easily. So I tend to wear a sock that's padded on the bottom, almost non-existent on the top. Uh, and in conjunction with shoes, I don't tend to wear Gore-Tex shoes. Uh, I just find a fairly lightweight trail runner style it just allows my feet to breathe. So as a result, the only times that I tend to get blisters is when I've been walking through a lot of creeks and rivers, and I don't change socks. Or I don't let the feet, uh, my feet, dry out. Um, so blisters aren't very common from my perspective. I've learnt long ago that you look after your feet, and they'll look after you.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm a little bit different. When I was uh, wearing heavier hiking boots, um, would almost invariably get a blister. Um my prevention was always taping. Uh, these days with uh, a lighter shoe and my Injinji toe socks, um, I can't remember the last time I'd had it. I got a blister. So, you know, that, that's obviously working for me, um, but not necessarily something that will work for everybody.
1: So the other thing we talked about in this episode was things like insoles and orthotics. Uh, and um, and Matthew did mention that really that the uh, orthotics is really to align your feet. So if your feet aren't quite in alignment or causing you problems, it may be worthwhile visiting a, your local podiatrist and seeing if, if, if this is the cause of a lot of the issues you're having. Um, certainly for a lot of shoes... Um I could never quite work out what the difference between a hiking shoe and a trail running shoe is. Um and I'm sure there is something something that defines what they are, although i struggle on the internet to try and work out what the difference is. But I think for a lot of hiking shoes they have a very solid robust sole with virtually minimal padding uh and then they'll go through and put a uh, uh some sort of insole in the uh, in them to provide that padding whereas trail runners seem because they are running uh, and you are actually impacting your body weight on these there tends to be a lot more foot padding as a result of it but yeah that's a, that's the only thing i can work out and whether that's right or not i don't know uh but certainly when i'm looking at trail running shoes as opposed to hiking shoes the hiking shoes i just find a lot of them even with their their stock standard insoles that come with them it's not quite padded enough and i've just got to build up a bit more padding on top of that um, okay. So really what it came down to, particularly for, uh, for any of the hikes. So we had choosing the correct footwear and making sure it's comfortable for you as an individual. Um, making sure you don't overuse the shoes that even though they might look good, throw them out after that, that approximately 1200 to 1400 a kilometer mark. And that is going to depend on you as an individual and the shoes themselves. Um, keeping good nail care. Uh, And the final takeaway from Matthew was preparation. And I loved his his uh, quote here, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Um, So he talked about as you build up, particularly towards longer hikes, or if you're not used to it, increasing uh, your session about 10% each time. So as I said, for me, working up to my expectation of 200 kilometers a week in August this year, I am slowly building up my period that that period of distance and weight load that I'll be carrying as far as training is concerned so that when I actually start this hike, I'm not going to be starting from scratch. Okay, that's all for this episode. We hope you've enjoyed. Um, Certainly, I learnt a lot. um, uh, And again, a lot of the things I already knew but just don't do, so it just reinforces that, that I need to go through and look after my feet a bit better than I probably do.
0: Yeah, and I've got uh, issues, feet issues, so uh, I'm sure at some point soon Matthew's going to get a visit
1: from me. As always, this episode is available to listen through our website, through SoundCloud, through Stitcher Radio and iTunes. If you have the time, please go through and give us a five-star rating on iTunes to help get the message out there. That's all from me. Bye for now.
0: And bye from me.